Welcome to 132nd Cherokee, the podcast that explores the unexpected and who we are. I'm your host, Aubrey Jean. So I opened up my email inbox and I saw a CEO from the Cherokee Nation and I thought, ooh, and then I thought, uh-oh, because <laughs> I know I have to be ignorant about a lot of the ways and what it means to be Cherokee and I am sure that I've shown a lot of my ignorance and so I was kind of afraid about what the email would say and rightly so, right? But I opened it up and it was from this great woman. She lives in Oklahoma on a reservation and she asked me if I had considered speaking to someone who was Cherokee, who was a Cherokee native for the podcast um, and thus... Sarah volunteered herself. (laughs) I got her on there. So I've loved getting to know her. We've actually done a couple of interviews just because I kept coming up with questions. And she's given me some resources about the tribe and the Cherokee language. Um, Osio means hello, by the way. (laughs) And I shared some of these on Instagram. Uh, But importantly, she's given me another perspective in which I view myself and my ancestry. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Sarah. I'm excited to talk to you. I was really grateful. I had many funny emotions when you sent me the email and the message. And I just thought, I'm very touched, I think. Very touched that you reached out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I really just randomly stumbled across your podcast. And the title alone, I feel like I could relate to because Mm. people ask me about my blood quantum all the time. And I'm actually... Cherokee and Chickasaw, but I'm only like 132nd Chickasaw, and Uh being Cherokee is what I've always known and been a member of, so that's more of what I identify with and my higher blood quantum, so to say, Mm -hmm. you know, when I first saw the title, I was just like, oh, hey, this might be something (laughs) cool. I was actually looking for Cherokee language podcast to listen to. Oh, neat just stumbled across it so I was gonna ask you how you found it because it's such a small podcast <laughs> I have I have not very many <laughs> listeners I mean and it's it's really I don't think meant for something bigger than that it really started out as a like a family history thing and you know there's a lot yeah. of people in my family that are getting older and so I just kind of wanted to just started recording their stories and this was a good jumping yeah. off point yeah. because it's like a central story that everybody talks about And so I was like, well, let's talk about that one first, you know, and then more people like friends and and acquaintances started, you know, asking me about it. And I realized that they had stories as well about their identities and I've just expanded it, you know, so it's part this story about my family, but also part like just exploring people's identities. And so it's been really interesting for me. It's been really fun to talk to people and and touching. I don't know. There's just something about it that just really touches my spirit. So I enjoy it. I think. It was the episode that you had someone who was half Japanese on that they were talking about a male ancestor being like imported into a family if there were no male heirs. Oh, yeah. And I just thought that was really interesting because back in the day, tribes were actually like matrilineal. So like my husband is Greek, mm-hmm. but I'm Cherokee. And if we had gotten married back like when we still had clan systems, he basically, by way of marrying me, would no longer be recognized as a Creek citizen. He would be recognized as a Cherokee citizen. Right. And all your kids too, right? The mother's brothers, the, the uncles were largely like the father figure to young boys. I've done a little bit of reading up and studying 
you know, this, this, this past bit about it. And, um, yeah, so I've been on YouTube just watching like the Cherokee National Heritage <laughs> Museum and and lectures and stuff from there. And I thought this is really interesting because just a few just a few weeks ago, um I've been going up that line that we've been talking about and there's a little snippet of information in the grandfather of the woman we're talking about and it says that mm-hmm. and it's just a snippet and I don't even know where it came from so I'm trying to get like the resource so I can I just want to see it with my eyeballs you know so really it's just a note that right. someone put in and the note that this lady put in I don't know if it came from a journal or a family I don't know family record maybe a family bible later on I don't know but it said that he was a member of the militia in North Carolina and for the War of 1812. So that's how far back it was. And it said that he was um, a Cherokee native and that he was from the Paint Clan. Mm. There's that. But uh, and so I was like, okay, I need to research what this means. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I've done a yeah, little bit well, of studying about the matrilineal stuff. And, yeah, it's been really interesting. There really legitimately and totally are a ton of people who are not enrolled or recognized that are still legitimately biologically native for sure. Do you have a lot of that so around where I, you guys, where you live? I mean, up until I think the 19, late 1970s, a lot of native children were like adopted out. Mm-hmm. And if your parents aren't on your birth certificate before you're enrolled, I mean, that's pretty much it. You're no longer eligible to be ever recognized as native. And it was not really something that she was proud to talk about or let my grandfather and his siblings participate in. So even though we had like enrolled cards, it's not really something that was always super passed down basically from my grandpa. When he got older, he participated in like tribal government and tried to learn what he could, but he also didn't have a super close relationship with my dad. So Mm. he actually ever was married to my grandmother. And funny story, his brother may actually be my grandpa. Oh, interesting. Okay, so you can tell me you have no idea how to approach this question because I'm not sure how to approach it either. But as you were speaking, I was thinking like there – well, okay. So there is so much in the past 200 years, say, that is different about the Cherokee Nation than it was previously. And I I mean, I got kind of talking about like how the U.S. government has kind of gotten in there and and really imposed a lot of things. on on the tribe and so i was just thinking like all of the stuff like the clan system and basically the invasion of the europeans and and then this government and and goodness gracious like it's it must be so different and how how hard would it be to have to try to like grasp your identity it feels like this identity is i don't know fluid i'm not sure well it's interesting that you say that because My biggest thing in reconnection has been learning the language. Mm -hmm. And the thing that I love about Cherokee language is there is a lot of like fluidity in things that maybe settler European culture are seen as like more structured, Mm -hmm. like gender. It's more aligned with your role that you play at that time rather than like your biological sex. Just all kinds of things that I find really like 
appealing and true for me. And there's something kind of sacred about that weird undefined space in between. Oh, interesting. And really before we really had to like start making treaties and, and I, like I said, I'm no historical expert, but Mm -hmm. I know in my family history, there are some people who are seen as pretty notorious or maybe not as friendly to colonizers at the time. (laughs) Well, can we blame them? (laughs) To the 1700s and that one ancestor that I told you was assassinated by major rage and a party of other Cherokees for possibly like a traitor. He was also known for like advocating killing settlers children because he said hey if somebody killed me my sons would come avenge me so if we really want to get these people out of here we just got to get everybody and a lot of people didn't like that and they nicknamed him baby killer like (laughs) not the nicest dude in history but even he allowed his daughters to marry scots irishmen Hmm. Because they spoke Cherokee, they lived according to the cultural values in his, like, town area, and they fought beside him for Cherokee Nation independence, and he was like, that's what it is to be Cherokee. So they, they okay, so he had, had his daughters married Scotch-Irishmen, Scotch so these men, the Scotch-Irishmen, they, they probably were adopted into the clan, right? Since it's matrilineal? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Neat. Which is like my my great grandfather who was on the Dawes roll mm-hmm. and my or my great great grandfather and my great grandmother and my great great grandmother. So got married. There was only a fourth Cherokee and was full blood Cherokee. So those are my great great grandparents. Basically my blood quantum for my Cherokee side is five sixty fours. And his mother actually came before the Trail of Tears. She's what we call an old settler uh-huh. because she was my aunt, like the daughter of one of Doublehead's daughters. And after he was assassinated, a lot of our family migrated before they had to because they were like kind of ashamed to be associated with him. Oh, so they left the East Coast and they migrated to the Oklahoma Territory? Yeah. What was appealing about the before, Oklahoma Territory? <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't well, it seem very appealing. Before it, was, it was before Oklahoma statehood. And right. It was just like being purchased up to basically like try to encourage natives like, hey, come out here because we would rather have this like really fertile area that we're trying to settle and we'll just give you this crap and leave you alone. So it was kind of like um, before it was forced resettlement, it was volunteer-oriented resettlement. It was encouraged settlement. Um, I see. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I wouldn't even necessarily say voluntarily because that wasn't everybody's situation. Right. There were a lot of people who were like murdered or their parents were murdered and they became young orphans and then... As guardians of the state, people, like, would literally just, like, steal their land and be like, see you later. (laughs) It's so awful. It wasn't. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. (laughs) It's hard hard to just say, like, oh, it was a voluntary thing. But, I mean, as far as I know, in my family history, the main 
appeal to them was like, uh, let's go like make a new name for herself. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So you said you, you talk about the blood quantum and I know that, I mean, it's, it's a larger conversation for us in this moment for sure. Um, but it has been on my radar, of course, just a little bit, even recently. So you mentioned that the gal who talked to me and she was half Japanese. So she went up to, Mm -hmm. um, the Alaska Heritage Museum uh, just like last week or the week before. And in it, there is this um, this exhibit and this this photo of a woman and it's just her arm. And it basically, it's like written out like one sixteenth plus five eighths or something equals whatever that comes out to be. And I'm not going to do math either. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then, it, yeah, <laughs> thank you. My brain is off today um anyway so it was just interesting because it talks it's i think it's it's called blood quantum and then it, it sort of like underneath it talks about like this is what the math comes out to this is what the numbers are but that's not what we feel that's not the connection we have to this part of our identity and it just kind of like to me it feels like it's a little bit of a like you can make it nice and tidy and put the stamp on it, but it's not necessarily what you might feel. And so I was just kind of wondering, like, well, what is your relationship with it? I honestly do not like blood quantum. I feel like it's a catch-22, right? Because uh-huh. I'm not going to lie to you and say it's not super frustrating to have people who really don't have any kind of attachment or – like me understanding of what it is (laughs) saying like oh hey this is you know and I think a lot of people really fetishize it too and that's a good like I I do speed work and stuff like that and it's frustrating to see like people making like super cheap stuff and selling it and then other people will be like why is your stuff so expensive and I'm like this is like handmade (laughs) really painstakingly stuff kind like I'm not anyways like, there's a lot of things that I could say about people who claim it and don't know it. So, mm-hmm. in a way, it's the only option a lot of tribes have been left with to define that in a secure way. But it also, like, I know people who have a much higher blood quantum than me that do not know or participate really anything to do with our culture, you know? Mm-hmm. That's not... And most of the people that I've been involved with, like even first speakers, I've been taking like language classes. So I've been talking to a lot of elder people. Yeah. (laughs) And even the first speakers I know are like, you know, that is not a card. A bloodline is not what makes us Cherokee. What do they say that makes them is, Cherokee? Is it different every person? Honestly, it depends on who you talk to. But for me, it's about the cultural values that we have and mm-hmm. living like that. Knowing some of the language and keeping that part of our culture alive. And just living in accordance with our values. Mm-hmm. Um, which... That's also really 
hard to say, like, I don't want to be like the gatekeeper of that because. Oh, yeah. Nobody wants the gatekeeper is a man. That's a definitely a crazy because, role to put see people into. Like, it's just not fair. So weird to me because I don't feel like, which, you know, maybe this is me just personalizing my own experience too much, but I don't feel like we do that a lot to other races. Like if somebody, honestly, I guess it's just whatever tends to benefit the U.S. government. If somebody is one drop African-American, the laws that oppress African-Americans always apply to them. But I have to be so many drops of native. And if I'm not like looking like I just stepped out of an old Western movie, like speaking another language, then I'm not quote unquote real enough. I think that that would be really hard for me to, to be defined by that. I would struggle with that a lot. That has been really difficult for me. I actually didn't even really tell people that I was Cherokee until like I was an adult. I mean, it's not something I would deny, but it's not mm-hmm. something I would ever talk about. Why and not? really how I fell into like finding my identity there was more like my own personal mental health problem. Mm-hmm. I got married really quickly out of high school, primarily to like be able to qualify for financial aid and pay for my college. But the man that I married was really not good. <laughs> and it ended up being a very toxic relationship. And I ended up like having to, to divorce him and file for a protective order against him. Oof. And at the time, he was controlling most of my finances, so I couldn't afford to file everything with the state. Oh my and gosh. I just, like, broke down crying. <laughs> mm. And she asked me, are you Indian? And I was like, yeah, why? And she was like, well, you need to go to the tribal court, honey. Like, they'll help you. So I went there, explained my situation, and not only did they help me file for my divorce and a protective order, they referred me to counseling. And that's really when I first started accessing like tribal resources, Mm -hmm. which is where I got my first like exposure to, hey, this is how Native people like actually live now. Is that around the time that you started kind of connecting with it? Well, you said that you didn't really start getting into the culture until you're an adult. So this is kind of the impetus of that? Yeah. I okay. was, I think, 20, 21 at the time. I mean, like I said, I always knew we were Cherokee, but my dad very much did not want to be the stereotypical, like, Indian on welfare, getting, tra- like, we did not get a lot of benefits, even though we definitely probably needed them. I think that that was something that he was kind of always embarrassed that his mom, because his mother was not Cherokee, but she got a lot of Cherokee benefits by way of having Cherokee children. Okay. And he actually would like tell us some tribal stories, but he didn't tell us they were tribal stories. He just like, Mm. I guess, liked some of their morals and, and I didn't recognize them as tribal stories until as I reconnected more and tried to learn like, our origin stories and just different legends. I was like, oh, hey, I recognize this story. I just didn't know it was Cherokee. So what part of it was at first started to attract you to learn more and to kind of delve more into it? 
honestly, I have a mental illness and I have been in therapy for a long time. I've always used like tribal services for that. Mm-hmm. And I love therapy, the by the way. <laughs> I actually have a master's degree in social work. So I've done therapeutic services like That's, as a provider as well. That is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should all get therapy. <laughs> yeah, I think it can be really beneficial. But especially when you're from a minority group, mm. having a strong sense of identity can really be a protective factor against some of those particular traumas. And oh. I know domestic violence is not exclusively a native thing. Alcoholism is not exclusively a native thing. But by way of being native, I'm much more likely to experience those things. Like, no matter how life-passing I am, I can't say that those things didn't impact my family because of the experiences my native family had. What, what does it mean when you say white passing exactly? I don't want to make an assumption here. Uh, I think it's easy for me to not tell people that I'm Native and then just assume that I'm white. That's what I mean by white Okay. Passing. So like, is it very, like, looks-oriented? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I don't really have a problem with people calling me white because I am also white, but... Mm-hmm. I also don't want to not say that I'm not biracial because I think that was something that was really ingrained into my dad. And I think it was, I don't know, really damaging to me. I mean, I have this really cognizant, I don't want to get too personal. I mean, my family is, they have some racist issues Mm -hmm. themselves. We're in Oklahoma. It's a very conservative state. Right. Not every Cherokee fought for the North, like, and mm-hmm. surprise, my family did not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I so, see. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I remember at one point I dated a Vietnamese kid, and my dad just had a conversation with me about how if we had children together, they wouldn't really fit in with his family and they wouldn't really fit in with our family. And that's sincerely what he believed I know his intentions were good but that's like and I was really young at the time which to put things in context my dad was 15 when he had his first kid so I get that but (laughs) I was like dad I'm not gonna have kids with this guy and like you're coloring the way I see you and how are you gonna think about my your grandchildren like what do you mean they won't fit in here that seems like it's your choice (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's funny how we we sometimes yeah I think it's really good to look at it like sometimes with just anything um yeah so you're making this blanket statement about whatever it is and you're saying this is how it's going to be but really it's only that because you decided (laughs) I don't want to carry that idea forward so you know yeah I I do think there are times that I look, quote unquote, look more native, but I also think the whole phrase of looking native is kind of silly. You probably know from the podcast, our family is a mix of a lot of different things. And so when one of us or another says we look one way or the other, whether it be Dutch or like Indian or whatever they're saying, right? 
I'm just like, well, I mean, maybe you just look like an old person. (laughs) 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 Who knows what you look like? (laughs) Like, We've got so much in us that it's hard to know. I mean, we are predominantly white, I guess you would say, you know, or Caucasian, I guess you would say, but you know, everything else is just kind of who knows what it is. And so I think it's, I think it's funny. While I say that, I also think I don't want to gloss over the experience of other people that I know. Like, things were a lot Mm -hmm. more difficult for my great-grandmother. Things are a lot more difficult for my partner. Like, he's Greek, Mm -hmm. and he, I would not, I mean, he's not like, I don't know. It feels weird describing him, but he is very native-looking. He's Mm -hmm. very tall and, you know, has very beautiful bone structure. I obviously am biased. I find him very attractive. <laughs> Good. <laughs> he wears his hair long. He wears it in braids sometimes. You know, mm-hmm. he looks like what I think one would picture when you say a native man. And he gets treated differently than I do anytime we get pulled over. Like, he has been, like, he went to a really small town school and he literally was attacked before like people yelling racist things at him like I don't want to say like oh it doesn't matter what it look what you know I look like I'm still native and then not acknowledge that he has had a different experience than I have you know you know I guess this is something that I have the luxury of not having to worry about you know because it's just part of my white privilege right and right I'm not and it's, what I mean by white class, yeah. I move very easily between either space and I'm, you know, there's privilege in that. Yeah. I feel for that though. That it just, that's another conversation. <laughs> it's just, it's just really awful, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's really awful. Yeah. But, but me just being able to like, yeah, learning about just the luxuries that I have just for the sake of what color my skin is, whatever makes me up right. is, um, has been enlightening for sure. No pun intended. <laughs> uh. <laughs> so now how long have you been like involved and, and like learning and, and really just like trying to delve into the culture? Um, I've been, I was enrolled my whole life, but I'd say I really like started learning things in my early 20s and it really like cheated up whenever I uh, finished graduate school Mm -hmm. because I had more time and I actually was able to move back to a tribal nation because when I was in graduate school, I lived in Oklahoma City, which I think is maybe a smaller tribe. I'm not totally sure, but it wasn't. um, I mean, there was an Indian clinic there, like a hospital, but there weren't a ton of services that I was aware of. (laughs) At least I'm not going to say not there. But not my tribe, not my area. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And so when I moved back to, um, first we moved back to be like closer to my partner's family, and they actually live in the Chickasaw Nation. And that's when I first started taking like language classes, which was about three years ago, mm-hmm. because once again, I wasn't living in my nation. So I was kind of limited to what I could do online while I was working. But I did work for the Chickasaw Nation, which is another southeastern tribe. And so I, like, tried. And, like, I think I mentioned briefly, I'm technically also Chickasaw. I just don't feel super attached to it because it's, like, yeah. my great-great-great-grandfather. And 
he didn't really like wasn't involved with his kids <laughs> so mm-hmm. um I did get to like work for a tribe and work for Indian child welfare which taught me a lot about tribal law and the way that works at least here in Oklahoma and with some like federal regulations like that's how I know like native kids are much less likely statistically to complete suicide if they know their tribe origin story mm. and basically up until 1978 it was legal to just take a child away from their parents if they were deemed too Indian oh my gosh that is so, so crazy that just for being a human being I I am incensed by that I cannot believe how awful that is anyway continue well, <laughs> I like my dad has told me stories about how his dad would be whipped for like trying to speak Cherokee or whatever. And I always kind of assumed my dad was just like embellishing. I always kind of thought it was an exaggeration, but really learning about the experiences of early natives here in the state of Oklahoma and what their realities were, it makes more sense. But she did not want to be associated with that or her kids to be associated. Was she trying to protect them from prejudice and injustice and stuff she didn't go to a residential school which i know a lot of like canadian residential schools are in the news right now yeah but she did go to like a school where she like she didn't have to live there she got to go home to her family but they would like punish them if they spoke their native language they made them wear you know western clothing all that kind of stuff so there's so much Very trauma. Christian. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, like I said, if you were seen participating in like religious activities or speaking Cherokee, like it really, you really were vulnerable to somebody like reporting you for whatever reason, taking your kids into custody, making them white, or trying to like bring you harm. So basically, your land was vulnerable and fair game. A lot of allotments were just like purposely like if you were a child, I'm going to give you an allotment way away from your parents' land because if you can't like defend it basically and water some live on it for 30 days because your homestead is on the adult's land and not the minor's land, then guess what? It now belongs to those squatters. So just all kinds of, you know. Shifty. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. So I was, I was saying that it's, it's crazy to me. What I have learned, and I didn't really realize this until I started um, researching uh, this family line, and and this family line was they settled some Oklahoma allotments that were in Cherokee lands that had been taken and, and given up for resettlement. And so I was like, what does that mean? And I started looking into it, and I just thought, oh, my gosh. So all of this, yeah. all of the things where people are just basically committing this cultural genocide – like the systematic, slow, cultural den- genocide. It's just for land. <laughs> it's so yeah. stupid. <laughs> like the oh, no, it, it, yeah. it's really hard. It's really, really hard for me to stomach. <laughs> well, and I really think at least I can't speak to other native cultures, but to the southeastern culture, I really think part of that made us really susceptible and vulnerable because the whole concept of 
this is my individual state piece of land was completely foreign. Like that mm-hmm. didn't make any sense. They were like, oh, you want this plot of land? Like, how do you own land? Sure. Give me money for that. Like, I don't want to make <laughs> them sound like ignorant, but it's just a completely different way of thinking about things. And it honestly is really impressive and speaks so much to adaptability and resilience that I think Oklahoma has the highest native population. Maybe Montana is close. I don't remember. But we're only like 9% native. I mean, they really tried to kill all of us. You know, it's weird because I feel like even as somebody who has family members who have experienced this, my partner, like his grandfather experienced a lot of this. I know I talk about like my great-grandparents and my great-great-grandparents, but it's not like... They all had children very young. It's not honestly that far removed, especially thinking about like ICWA being passed, the Indian Child Welfare Act, that you had to let a tribe know if you were taking a tribal child into state custody. Like that was 1978. And I know here in Oklahoma, a lot of people, when my husband talks about things Native related, they're like, what? That was so long ago. Just like, what do you want from me? Get over it. And it's like, nah, it really wasn't. <laughs> it, I mean, it affected it a lot of people who are still alive. Well, and even if you don't want to look at the past, there's still a lot of things going on that affect us right now. Like that Supreme Court decision that basically acknowledged, hey, the state of Oklahoma never dissolved these specific tribal reservations that was just decided like last year and that if it hadn't gone in our favor would have been really devastating to a lot of the things that we already do mm-hmm. like provide free health care services and therapy services or once again i know i'm biased but That's <laughs> Cherokee okay. Nation is really really like robust in that so, oh yeah yeah, I there's. Wish the state of Oklahoma would let us do more because we do a lot, even for non-tribal people. Pretty much everybody in my rural town here is vaccinated and has been vaccinated since early spring because we didn't care if you were an enrolled member or not. Mm-hmm. Really, if you're living here, vaccinated because that helps keep us safe too. Oh my gosh, that's so <laughs> awesome! Yes, <laughs> we give money to public schools. I mean, housing, the list goes on and on. I don't think my town would have roads if it weren't for the tribe. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So how has your life altered since you started, you know, learning more of the language and stuff? And how has your identity changed? Honestly, I think I am a lot more secure in telling people that I'm Cherokee. Like, as much as I don't think I should have to talk about my blood quantum, pull out my card or like do a little tap dance. Like Mm -hmm. it does make me feel like I know and understand more about our culture. So it's easier to talk about because I don't have that little voice in the back of my head saying like, if you talk about this, somebody's going to be like, well, actually you don't know what you're talking about. Like, yeah. So it has made me feel better in that way. And then also, just for me personally, I think it's helped significantly in the management of my own mental wellness. Like, I used to take mental health medications, and I know, like, not bashing that, but I don't have to anymore. Like, 
I'm also use mindfulness and meditation. And thankfully, my state now has medical marijuana, so I use that too. <laughs> but not have to have that, yeah, and still be doing okay. So that's probably the biggest way that it has impacted me. And I think it's just given me more confidence to go after what I want to. Like mm-hmm. I recently applied for that immersion language program and. I probably would not have even had the confidence to do that maybe even two or three years ago. That's pretty cool. Do you want to, what do you want to do with the language? Do you want to try to be a part of passing it on? Definitely. And that's kind of what this immersion program is designed to do. Mm-hmm. It's designed to not only increase fluency, but to increase people who are able to teach Cherokee. And in Tahlequah, they actually have an elementary school that's a completely like immersive school. So not only oh, cool. are they teaching kids for 12 subjects, they're teaching them in Cherokee, like yeah. while you're learning how to speak Cherokee. <laughs> that's so <neat>. cool. <laughs> I would like to potentially maybe be a counselor there since mm. my wheelhouse really is more in social work behavioral health. Yeah. And I would really potentially like to eventually develop some sort of therapy through language like group programs because we have like a really high need for service behavioral health services when I worked as a therapist there was always a very is it that's kind of where I want to put my efforts for um helping people heal and work through that I was just thinking like it must be so complicated to navigate being a different nation in the middle of another nation this like BMS oh. nation. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> that must I be actually, so complicated to uh, go back and forth and like have to negotiate lines. And oh my gosh. My parents and I both live in the Cherokee Nation, but they live in a town about 45 minutes away from me. And when I drive to go see them, I actually leave Cherokee Nation, pop through the top of Choctaw Nation, and then come back in to the Cherokee Nation. Mm. So anytime I go to see them, I'm like, I've been in like four different nations, the United States, the Cherokee Nation, the Choctaw Nation. That is crazy. (laughs) A 40-minute drive. (laughs) I mean, it's not much. Like for someone like me, you know, I just think, oh, this is a reservation. It's not a big deal because I don't know, right? So I've driven through several different – (laughs) <laughs> I cannot speak to other reservations. I know things were really interesting during COVID. During the like beginning of the pandemic, I was still living in the Chickasaw Nation. I worked as an investigator for Indian Child Welfare. So they call their leader governor in a tubby, not chief. Um, mm. So I had a letter from Governor Anna Tuggy saying that if I needed to travel counties, I was allowed to do so because Ooh. they weren't sure how the state was going to react to like travel and things like yeah. that. It's been really interesting getting involved in like tribal politics and seeing how yeah. that works. And, and that I have, you know, these two different bodies that honestly are in conflict a lot of the time. So much to uh, navigate. Yeah, that's so much. I don't know if you know much about Oklahoma politics, but our governor actually is technically an enrolled member of the Cherokee Nation. Oh, I did not know that. He's not biologically native. I really think what they're nervous about is whether or not the tribes will start trying to claim civil jurisdiction because then 
we'll get a lot more like property taxes. Oh, I and see. Yeah. Things like that. It's all about you the know, money. Resources, right? oil rise. My father really has come a long way. Like mm-hmm. I, he's more involved in the tribe now, and it's something that I think as I've kind of tried to reclaim the language and work for the tribe, it's something that he's really like taken pride in. So did you inspire it, him it, to get more involved? Um, I don't know. I, I don't know if he would ever say that. Okay. <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> you just seem to kind of do it together simultaneously. <laughs> well, and it's really just been something that I think he's been able to soften the fact that I'm like a radical leftist by me saying like, well, look at this tribal value. (laughs) You know how you grew up always teaching me like no matter what, like a human deserves food by way of being a human. If a hungry mouth shows up, you feed it. Like that's why I feel this way politically. And it's also associated with our tribes like core values. Yeah. It was interesting. I, I guess you'd said that there are several people. It sounds like there's a spectrum, right? People are people all over humans have spectrums so it sounds like there's a little bit of a spectrum and and you mentioned that there might be people out there who have maybe a more genetic amount of Cherokee in them but you wouldn't know it because they refuse to partake of social services or or the social safety net I'm not sure I wouldn't even say social services but even like knowing our tribe's origin story or knowing the cultural you connection. Know, like the, legend, the legend of the first strawberry or, you know, just participating somehow. Like, even if you're not, even if you don't know old stuff per se, like, do you vote at large? Do you know what services we offer? Like, I think what <laughs> irritates me the most is, like, when I see we post something on Facebook and people are like, I haven't gotten any help and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, our chief will literally reply and be like, here's the link to the college uh, assistance application. Like, I don't know, like, you have to apply. You have to tell us, you know. But, I mean, I know as somebody, like, who didn't have a father who accessed that stuff, it was, like, I didn't know about a lot of the options that were available to me just because it wasn't something my dad participated in. So... Like, had I not been crying at the county office to trying to file for right. my divorce and that lady not asked me if I was Native, I don't know that I would have known, hey, not only can I file for divorce here, and it's way cheaper, it was only like $35. Oh, nice. Um, I also, like, can get therapy and physical health care and dental work and, and even beyond what can I get out of them, mm-hmm. like, I feel like because they helped me when I really didn't see many other people extending something to help. I mean, when you get deep in domestic violence, you lose a lot of your connections. Yeah. So had they not helped me, I definitely would not have been able to go to graduate school. I wouldn't have a healthy, good relationship now. Because of that, I'm like, well, what, what can I know about who you are and how can I help like spread the word yeah primarily I just want people to know like some native things that I really love are like uh probably my favorite tribal podcast is uh all my relations okay and it talks about a bunch of different tribes and just the way different policies impact different tribal nations 
Indians.com, which that's Indians with a Z, is honestly where I get most of my tribal news because that is actually made by like tribal journalists, things like that. Mm-hmm. And just going to CherokeeNation.org. I mean, I've done that the one. Language department. Yeah. The language department's webpage has a ton of like coloring books that tell our tribal stories and legends that are free to download. You can print them. Like, that's cool. There's all kinds of resources out there i appreciate that i i do appreciate it a lot what's really important to me is like everybody has something in their heart that they're identifying with and it, and it sometimes it changes and and they learn more well, about I, it and that is the most important part identity, for me identity is so intrinsically linked to politics that you yeah. can't help but stumble into those <laughs> things but also i'm noticing like that's, I think, what makes us nervous to talk about it and because we're all nervous about tripping over each other's feelings right. or, you know, whatever. And that's you know, just not helpful at all. So I, I, we never learn. Yeah, I feel like I can do the best as I can to be humbly receptive. Like, I, I may not agree with what people say. You know, like I, like I told you, I've got – I've talked to people and I'm like, okay, I do not see the world like you see the world. And also, I love you, <laughs> but that's fine. Yeah, as, as a social worker, I just feel like I'm always like, well, what lenses colored your opinion? Like trying to justify like, oh, yeah. their feelings for them or like how did this system that they had no control over change the way that they would have been? And Yeah. yeah <laughs> trying to help them help you justify their behavior or their, their thoughts. Or... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I am definitely learning a lot about just the nature of this, these discussions and, uh, and yeah, how, I mean, of course they're sensitive, but I never really thought like I would feel it as much, but then, you know, people that I know, not just people that I'm meeting like, like yourself, but people that I know, I'm like, so how does that shape like how you feel in your inside? (laughs) They're like, I don't want to talk about that. It's like weird for them. (laughs) I'm like, no, this is what we should be talking about. Like, this is the important stuff right here. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I'm learning how to. We talk about a lot of things, but for some reason, just the way we feel and being present in that moment. I look at cultures that have a strong community connection, not just like in neighborhoods, but just, you know, in the sake of being part of this culture, then you know, they have everybody there. <laughs> Everybody's connected. They're all in each other's lives. You know, they have big parties or, you know, uh, something goes down. Everybody's there to help you. Um, there's there's something about that that is just like very appealing to me. And there's cultures across the world that they're, they're very, they're very community oriented. They're very con- interconnected like that. And yeah. what I'm learning about, I guess, what about the Cherokee Nation is that at least I've been learning more, like I said, more about the past. Like that was kind of what they are doing in the past as well. And I'm assuming they do that now. And so I just wondered, like, are you starting to like get involved in that kind of thing now as well? Like feeling oh, this yeah. community connection, not just like the social services, but like, is it more involved in your I, life now than it was before? Yeah. I uh, tell my language teacher all the time, like my grandfather actually passed away before I was born mm. so I tell Ed like you're my Cherokee grandpa <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> that's awesome I mean pretty much everybody like I moved here in October and it's 
where I live is a fairly small town, but everybody here is just like, oh, who's your kin? And, oh, I know this person, or I know your uncle, and this and that. Like, it is very, very connected people. That was kind of my biggest aha moment in feeling okay to claim this as part of my identity is I shouldn't be worried about whether or not I'm enough. I should just be glad that I get to be a part of. And that's kind of the attitude that I take towards it. Yeah, that's really touching. But yeah, I get to volunteer at food banks. I, up until recently, was working at a tribal clinic. I took some time off because I really wanted to um, dedicate more time to these language classes that I've been taking. Mm -hmm. I can hopefully get into this program that I can get paid to learn Cherokee, which it's not much pay, but hey, if they're giving me money to like just study and hang out with elders and talk to them, like that sounds like the dream. That's, that's kind of <laughs> cool. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to do that for anybody. <laughs> do you think that there will ever be a time that blood quantum won't matter to people and that you can just be a nation and be a culture? I think a lot of that is really tied to sovereignty and how much say we get over our citizens and people living in our nation mm-hmm. like and that's one of the biggest fears that our state government has can our laws like affect white people or non-natives not just white people but mm-hmm. non-natives i don't want to say that blood quantum matters to the Cherokee nation because we don't have a minimum like right if you tomorrow found out you were one one thousand sixty fourth, if you could provide documentation of death and birth certificates, you would be able to be an enrolled member and get the same benefits that I do, including the $2,000 as somebody who has more blood quantum than you. But it would be so different. Like, I mean, it wouldn't be, I would get the same benefits, but I wouldn't have the same benefit that you do. Like what I'm seeing is that you're connected to this culture. You're making connections and community and I really think officially, which I don't speak for the tribe officially, but right. I know, like, Tommy Wildcat, uh, our chief Hoskin, like, there are so many people that I feel like I look up to that would say, if blood quantum is all it is, then being Cherokee is just having a card. Right. And it's not that. It's definitely not that. So I was wondering about, like, your other pieces of genetics that make you up. You said in your email that you're Basque and French and English and Irish as well. Um, yeah. That's pretty cool. Um, we've got a ton of Basque people, by the way, where I live in Idaho. Um, there's a oh, huge, yeah, it's a huge community. It's an, also one of those communities I'm jealous of, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> they have like these cultural days and they have these, you know, people who live in pockets and yeah. neighborhoods and, and uh, the, the culture and the language seems alive and well in this like little silly part of the the world but That's have crazy, just because honestly i didn't really know anything about either one of my parents heritage until when i honestly when i started really really heavily researching it was when i worked for the chigasaw nation because mm. their library had free access to uh, like a paid ancestry account. oh that's awesome <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah. so, i thought i was like oh mom like Look at all, and actually, what's funny is my mom is not native, but right. she lives here. And she was like, "If you could find somebody that I could like, say I was enrolled in, like, 
why was my family here? Like, we were poor whites. Like, they married, like, a lot of people in her family married natives, but, you know, she doesn't have anyone she's descended from. Right. It's more like her and her siblings, but <laughs> because they were moved from California to Oklahoma. I was, while digging through her stuff, I found, like, something called, like, a Cherokee allotment, and I was like, oh, what is this? Like, maybe she does have somebody who's Cherokee way, way, way back there. And, you know, her family, like, won lands after. That, yeah, that's, yeah, that's like my family. (laughs) I know. And when I told that to my father, he was like, of course, like, even 200 years ago, her family was screwing me over. (laughs) That's really funny. (laughs) You have definitely a mixed ancestry then. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I like that. Oh, and I make jokes all the time with us why I have a particular mental illness that I do because I have like these dueling bloodlines. <laughs> That's funny. And just like, what the hell is, are you supposed to be here for y'all? <laughs> I think, you know, and that's okay. So for, so for someone like me, I don't know if I if I could like say I have identity privilege. <laughs> I just coined that, but <laughs> you know, <laughs> but I have like because I am this mix of all these things and I'm a white American, you know, so there's so much that goes along with that. And I can reach out and like, see different parts of my identity, but I don't have to. It's not in my face all the time. And uh-huh. you know, there are people you know, maybe like yourself, but there are people who are mixed. They have also a lot, just like I have a lot, but because of the nature of where they are or perhaps what, what kind of genetics they have, they don't necessarily have the luxury of being able to ignore the conflict mm-hmm. inside. Well, <laughs> and I, yeah, and that's why I say like, I very heavily say I'm white passing and things like that, because I don't think I've had the same reality as other people that I've known, mm. but I also don't want to say it didn't affect. I remember my mother's mom when I was a little kid in the summer would always tell me like, if you get any darker, we're going to go make you live across the street because a biracial family lived across the street. (laughs) And my grandmother did not like how dark I got because, you know, she didn't want the neighbors to think my mother had, you know, Maybe slept with somebody else, or right. I don't. And my dad was actually like, he has very kinky, curly hair, mm-hmm. very broad, native nose, and he's not super dark, but he's native. He's dark enough, and there have been people who have called him racial slurs, like thinking he was maybe African American, yeah, and, or black. I think we all carry a lot of prejudice with us whether we're aware of it or not one 32nd cherokee with aubrey jean and with all the favors i can cash in produced by me aubrey executive produced by nobody because i don't know what that means the anchor app by spotify holds my hand for all the engineering the music is also found on anchor You can rate and review this show on many podcast platforms someday, and you might find your review featured on a future episode, or I might burn it in effigy. Got comments? Send me a message at anchor.fm forward slash Aubrey dash Jean. That's anchor.fm forward slash Aubrey dash Jean.